This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. In this world there's a whole lot of trouble, baby. In this world there's a whole lot of pain. In this world there's a whole lot of trouble, but a whole lot of ground to gain. Why take when you could be giving? Oh, I watch as the world goes by. It's a hard enough life to be living. Why walk when you can fly? Kiora, Talofa, Nihau, greetings, welcome. Welcome to Quiet Minds Mental Health Radio, Plains FM 96.9. listening to Quiet Minds Mental Health Radio on Plains FM 96.9. Today in the studio I'm going to be chatting with Tonya who's come along to talk about his journey with addictive eating. So um, welcome to you Tony. Oh welcome Deb, oh, thanks very much Deb for the welcome. <laughs> and Tony, so you've come to share with us a bit of your experience. Uh, listeners, if you didn't catch last week's show, we talked to Kay, who talked about the Fellowship of Addictive Eaters Anonymous, and you've come along to talk a bit about your journey. So thank you for coming in. So um, where would you like to start? What, what was your first experience of knowing that food was not um, how you'd want it to be in your life? Oh, very early on, actually. Uh, you know, I mean, my, you know, sort of oldest memories are being, you know, sort of different around food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I believe actually I was born an addict because uh, there was, you know, addiction in my family. Mm-hmm. And uh, food was the first thing that I was, uh, you know, fixated on in, in, a, in a way that, you know, my friends and a lot of my other family members weren't. Right. So I was the type of kid that would go to a birthday party and even though I enjoyed playing games, I was up at the table waiting for the food. Right. And yeah, you know, once I reached out to get a last cake on a plate, I was already eating a cake. Mm-hmm. But I saw this last piece and I had to have it. Right. I reached out and another hand went yeah, you know, went towards it and I slapped that person's hand, grabbed it and and got told off and I was full of guilt and shame, but I absolutely could not do could not stop myself doing that. What uh, age were you roughly then? Uh Around five or six. Wow. In that sort of um, age bracket, so you know it was a, you know, it was pretty early on. Was there a, a lack of food in your family? Not really. No, it's just that um, I had an obsession with it right yeah, from the outset. I just wondered if there was. So a... um, yeah, no, it was. Uh, it, I, you know, I certainly couldn't blame a, a paucity of food. It's just mm. I had to have more. Mm. Always had to have more, and uh, you know, I grew up sort of battling that. I was always aware of it. I was always aware it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, I played a lot of sport, mm-hmm. so that kind of kept the weight off, you know, consi- you know, like I was eating like a man as a boy, you know, like my father was, you know, was a builder, and I would eat as much as him, uh, but he was, you know, working in a physical job. Right. I was running around sports fields all day, not consciously trying to burn it off, but it, it, it kept my weight down, so, mm-hmm. but it wasn't so much the the physical, it was more the mental, it was more that, that obsession, that mental obsession that... All the time I was thinking about food, how to get it, um, sometimes ha- you know, how not to have it, mm-hmm. you know, um, particularly when I had to you know, sort of, um, you know, get fit for sporting events. But, you know, the, the, it was like a, it was like a kind of 
just a one track loop in my mind. Right. And uh, yeah, I knew I was different, but I didn't like to kind of admit it. Mm. I just did not want to admit that I that I couldn't beat it. Mm. Um, and I, I guess as an example of the obsession, when I was at intermediate school, so around about twelve years old, we were in woodwork class one day, and a, and a classmate. You know, fainted, and uh, turned out he had a ruptured spleen. Oh wow! <laughs> so he was he was rushed off to hospital. Well, as soon as that guy hit the deck, all I could think about was he ordered, you know, takeaway food at the at the canteen every day, and I wanted his lunch. Right. So I queued up at the canteen. Black humour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I queued up at the canteen, gave his name, our class number, and ate his sausages and chips on top of my lunch already. Oh, you know? wow. So, um, so while other kids were thinking. You know, poor so and so, and writing him get well cards. I was stealing his lunch. You know, wow. and, and and that's that's the obsession I had. I knew that wasn't normal, but mm. um, but you know, I was, I was, you know, so full of guilt and shame I couldn't admit what I was doing. Um, Did your family know? Not really. No, I mean, it, um, again, it was um, you know, something I concealed mm. as much as I could, mm. and because I was a an active kid, um, it wasn't like I was. I thought I was overweight, but I wasn't really. Right. It was just in my mind. You know, right. So, um, and, you know, so I'd be stealing food from wherever I could get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always, um, I was totally unreliable to be sent down to the shops. I couldn't get the food back without, you know, having had a crack at it. Um, and, yeah, it just, uh, and, and you know, as I said, I, I believe I was born an addict because I'm also an alcoholic. Right. And so the, at about the age of 14, I started drinking regularly. And so then I had two addictions on the go. Right. And so then it, the more I drank, the harder it became to conceal the um, the physical effects of my addiction. So I started to put on a weight, which I hated. And mm. I started to get, you know, because you know, I was a, you know, supposed to be a sportsman. And uh, I started to feel a lot of shame around you know, how I looked and, you know, and, and the way I was eating. Did you feel like pressure with um, from the sports area as well to to conform to a certain way? Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. You know, and um, I remember being on a on a, a football training camp, uh, a residential football training camp, and going down to breakfast, and I couldn't stop myself from going around all the tables eating all the cold toast and you right. know, with lots of butter on it. And right. I looked up one day, and some of the coaches were there, and they were looking at me like, you know, they were just totally shocked. Um, but I was still doing the same thing the next day. And but the, they didn't say anything or No, I think they just wrote me off as somebody that would, you know, you know never never make it as a player, you know. Wow. Um and that was fair enough, you know, because I was totally in the grips of addiction. And But it's sad really that they 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 saw it. I mean, they would have seen that that's not a normal behaviour for most boys. That yeah. they didn't actually Someone wasn't able to take you aside and say, "Hey." Oh, it was a long time ago, and there was less awareness of that. But listening to it, it's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, I, don't, I don't, I don't hold any. No, no. <laughs> I just, I was listening to it. I'm thinking, oh, well, if they've already seen you do it, you know, it's sad that they, someone wasn't there enough to go, "Hey." Yeah, yeah. I don't think it would have made any difference, to be honest, because yeah. I was, you know, I was so full of pride and and, uh, you know. And sort of, you know, guilt and shame, which were, mm. you know, and and you know, felt really bad about myself. So the, the way, you know, when I felt really bad about myself, I just, I just ate and drank more. Mm. Mm. Um, so, 
yeah, I, I, I have no kind of um, qualms about that. But so the year between leaving, you know, when I left high school, I went away to the North Island to train for, for a job for a year. Mm-hmm. So I was a student on a student bursary. I had some income. Um, in that year, I put on between, you know, um, in the old me- measurement, um, you know, four or five stones, so 25, right. 30 kg. Wow. Just through, you know, through, through yeah. eating, you know, junk food and drinking. Because you had access to money yeah. and you had access and, to food. And so suddenly I, you know, my, my sport just, you know, went downhill. Right. I felt kind of even worse. And for the A first bit. time after that, I, I for the first time after that, I turned to weight loss, you know, okay. organisations to try and, you know, lose weight and get on top of things. And I never could. I could never stay on their diets. I could never, um, I could never stick to it because the obsession in, in my mind would be so strong. It was like water building up behind the dam, and eventually the dam would burst, mm. and I'd mm. be out there full scale into alcohol, drugs, food. You know, um, they, they always sort of went kind of hand in hand for me. And yeah, you know, I, 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 I sort of um, was always. Trying to sort of beat it by by moving, actually, you know, right, by okay. <laughs> moving cities or moving yep. jobs, or you know, trying, you know, thinking that it'll be different here, but right. it, it never was because I took the problem with yes. me, which was in me. You know, yeah. The disease of addiction was in me, um, and I eventually moved back to Christchurch. And uh, so, what sort of age were you then? Mid mid twenties, maybe. Right. Um, and I saw in the an ad in the newspaper for um, a twelve uh, step. Uh, organization you know, dealing with food addiction right and so I, I wrote I, I wrote away in those days you had to write to a box number mm-hmm. and I wrote away and uh, it was suggested that if I wanted to find out more to come to a meeting okay so I went to a meeting and I you know I, I went there straight from the pub on a Friday night and so I was a wee <laughs> bit foggy about what I heard but I was absolutely blown away that here were people saying that they'd they'd been obsessed with food all their life like I had been, mm. um, but some of them had said, "But we found a we found a solution. Yeah, you know, we found a way through a power greater than us that uh, means yeah you know, we don't have to eat addictively." And um, I thought that was I thought that was pretty amazing. But at that stage, I was young, mm. brash, arrogant, and I thought that I could beat it. And in those days, there there weren't many men around. Right. And around around recovery. And uh, so the delusion in me was that this is a woman's problem. You know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't believe that today at all. It's, mm. you know, it's a human problem. Um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't um, it affects all genders. And, um, and uh, but in those days, I kidded myself that that was the case. Right. Because I didn't want to give up. I didn't no. want to stop eating addictively. I just was hoping that there'd be some easy you know, sort of band-aid option. Magic pill. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> so so, I, so basically I, I met up with a couple of people um, after that meeting and one of them was, she was, you know, around about my age. It was like I'd met up with a sort of long-lost sister, that, oh. you know, um, in the sense that she, you know, she ate, drank, drugged the way I, you know, she, right. the way I was still doing. Yeah. Um, but she'd, Definitely found a way out, and and it was suggested to me by her and another person that if I wanted to get well, I'd have to give up, you know, drinking, eating addictively, and and drugging, and I couldn't imagine at that age of my life, stage of my life, not doing those things. Yeah. I thought they were the things that were sort of keeping me together because 
I always felt restless, irritable, discontent. Right. And so I said thanks, but no thanks, and then went on my not-so-merry way for a few more years and, uh, and you know, moved towns again, ended up in Nelson, where my drinking got so bad that I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, okay. um, and by some miracle, I, you know, um, I was relieved of the obsession to drink and mm. then later uh, the obsession to, you know, with, um, with drugs because I had a problem with um, prescription pills. Right. Yeah, you know, I'd smoke pot when I could. Um, and so all I had left then was the food. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I wasn't an alcoholic that picked up food later. I always, you know. Food was Food there. was always there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it got, you know, exponentially worse after I came into AA and wasn't drinking and drugging. And that's all I had left, you know, you know because as an addict, I was always looking for something that would make me feel better. Mm. And uh, so, you know, food was the only substance left. And, um, and you know, it's, it's why I believe that, uh, you know, my life was as, as unmanageable eating addictively as it was, you know, using all those other substances. So, um, Did you have any kind of professional help? Were you, like, did your alcoholism or drug addiction take you into the mental health um, arena? Yeah, well, funny you say that, because I, I was at Queen Mary Hospital in uh, Hamner Springs. Right. Uh, you know, for, um, for alcoholism. And we had a big debate there one day as to whether we were in a you know, mental health institution, which right. clearly we were. You yes. know, um, so, it, I, I, so, so I went there, I went through alcohol and drug clinics, yep. um, but I found, I, I found the best uh, help was actually in... 12-step fellowships mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, there were people there who had walked the same walk, if mm-hmm. you like, you know, and uh, they understood at a level um, that I found to be deeper mm-hmm. um, uh, with no disrespect to mm-hmm. health professionals because they were, they, they were very, you know, helpful in, in getting me to that point, you know, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. Um, but in AA, I, um, you know, I, I, I stopped sort of um, following Suggestions. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't have a sponsor who's, right. who's an older member who guides guides us through the program. I, I had I had some good sponsors early on, but then I decided to sponsor myself. And in that time, it was a disaster, and the food just got worse and worse. Another part of an addiction, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was. It was. It was. You know, it was pretty miserable actually. Mm. Um, and in that time, you know, my yeah, you know, my marriage broke up. I was living away from my kids. You know, not seeing you know, seeing them once a week. Um, just I was just sort of basically living to eat, um, and but too stubborn and too proud and too still in the grips of addiction to to ask for help and give up, you know. So and, and eventually it got bad enough that I um, ended up going back to the to to the meeting that I'd first been to all those years before, and there, there was something like a seventeen year gap from my wow. first meeting to coming back in, um, and it took really some, you know, just humiliating experiences to really um, get me to that point where um, I, I was finally able to admit that I couldn't do it, mm. that, you know, I couldn't do it on my own, on my own will, you know, mm. no matter how much I knew about the disease of addiction, I couldn't stop eating. Um, I need, and, you know, I needed help. So, um, and 
so I started coming to meetings and I was sitting there in the sort of on the fringes for a for a little while, you know, kind of hoping Sussing that, it out. Hoping my case was different, but <laughs> I soon realised it wasn't. You know, like, um, and I, I and I found myself one night going up to you know an experienced member of the fellowship, and it was it, it was one of the people that had that had come around to see me seventeen years before. Oh my goodness! And I and I said to them. Um, uh, yeah, will you? Yeah, will you? Will you help me? And the response I got was, um, "Are you entirely willing to give up your old thinking around the food?" And uh, I said, "Look, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think I am. I, you know, I, I can't do this. Mm. I can't, you know." Mm. And for me, that was the first admission that I was powerless. Right. That I was completely powerless over food. Right. And I believe in that moment that um, by asking, you know, a, a person for help who became my sponsor and still is today, that I opened the door to some you know, power greater than me that I, I still don't totally understand, but um, uh, to, to remove that obsession to eat because since that day I haven't had to eat addictively no matter what's happened in my life. You know, oh, wow. Good or bad. Um, you know, it's been some great things. You know, like I've, you know, I've got remarried. I didn't have to eat addictively on, on our wedding night. Um, grandkids born. Um, wow. you know, and, and some tough things, you know, you know, people close to me passing away and, right. um, you know, and, you know, stressful times, but, mm-hmm. but, it, but it hasn't occurred to me to eat. Mm. Whereas for the first 42 years of my life, that was all I thought about. I just mm. battled that obsession all that time. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, been, it, it was a total change. So I spent 13 years in AA, not drinking and not drugging, which you know, it saved my life, I believe. Right. But I've. I wasn't getting the full benefit of sobriety as I know it in Addictive Eaters Anonymous, which is, you know, um, freedom from addictive eating and all mind-altering substances. So mm. I, I was still, some of my behaviours were still very much um, as bad as they were when I was, you know, drinking and drugging. Uh, but since I asked for help in AEA and, and let go of that last, well, you know, I, I won't say I let it go. I don't believe I did it. But the the last substance was mm-hmm. removed, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, things have changed totally. You know, just completely changed. I mean, I don't. I, I'm not prey to you know misery and depression um, the way I was. You know, um, and yeah, and, and I've I've been able to help other people, which is a great. You know, great thing. And um, that I, paying back is a big part of 12 steps isn't it like that yep. su- supporting others that come along and to support them to make the changes that they um, want to make as well yeah we, we we pretty much say to keep it we have to be prepared to give it away mm. and that's um you know it is actually a bright spot of our lives to see mm. someone come in and get well it, it really is and uh i was someone for you know that was skeptical for a long time about um you know whether AEA was for me, um, you know, I mean, in those 17 years, I mean, not since I came in and asked for help, but, um, mm, mm. and, but I, I, I've totally let go of all the delusions I had, which was that, <laughs> that it was a, a, a woman's problem, not, right, not a man's. Right. That's, you know, that's not true. Um, that I could just fix it all by going to AA. Well, I, I couldn't, you know, I'm not mm. saying that doesn't work for, for others, people. but for me, mm. it didn't. So I, I have to be in. AEA around recovering addictive eaters. I think um, when you um, started sharing at the beginning about 
your experiences of food as a five-year-old, you know, then that's a whole different area to someone who has an alcohol addiction that might start at five. But look, but for you, the food was has always been um, the main uh, addiction, and those other things have been there alongside. I don't, I don't sort of analyse. Analyze that yeah, too I was much just in, in the sense from that, um, you know, listening that, to you. Yeah, because for me, the, you know, the disease of addiction is much, much more than just a substance. So, yeah. so yeah, you know, the, the unease, the, um, you know, the fear, the anxiety that I felt that was, that was, you know, the disease of addiction. Mm. So I turned to substances to try and make that try and make me feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, as a solution, um, it turned out the substances were. Yeah, a massive part of the problem too, um, for me. So, um, yeah. So the disease of addiction, I believe, was um, always there. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, food was the first sort of manifestation. And uh, so, what's your life look like today? What's you know, you you talked about some of the change. You've got married. You've got um, grandchildren. Mm. How how different is your life? Well, it's a lot better. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Lot more positive. Um, it's busy. It's full. It's full life. I mean, um, that's one of the great things about recovery is it it gives us our lives back and more mm. because uh, yeah we get the opportunity to help other people and see them get you know get well and um, the um, but I don't have to you know worry about um, you know food and other substances you know like it's just um, you know, it's just part of my part of my life. You know, so um, and so what I do is actually, you know, what I do now I once feared as sort of you know too controlling, um, right. but I've actually found it to be a freedom because the uh, the freedom is the sort of weight off my mind. Right. You know, the you know that obsession just that, and um, and I kind of feel now that if um, if that obsession could be removed, you know, when I you know when I was in the grip of it for over four decades. Then anything I encounter, I can just hand over to, and that'll be okay. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes I forget that when it gets really busy, and you know, kind of. But it's, uh, yeah, basically I believe that, you know, very much. And I and I and I know that's not me doing it. It's just, it's definitely a power that I believe, you know, emanates from, you know, the fellowship. Um, from there's, there's just something about one addict trying to help another addict, which, um, you know creates a, 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 a power greater than us, you know, so, yeah. Well, Tony, we're just about out of time. So, um, first of all, I'd like to really thank you for coming in and sharing a bit of your journey. I know that you were talking about the fellowship. Could you give the details of the fellowship if somebody's listening and would like to make some contact? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Deb. Uh, so Addictive Eaters Anonymous, we have our own website, which is uh, you know, full of information about the fellowship. Uh, it's full of people's personal stories, either um, audio or in text. And the address of that is uh, www.addictiveeatersanonymous.org. That's all one word, dot org. So just the one dot um, at the end. <laughs> so www.addictiveeatersanonymous.org. Um, and yeah, we invite sort of email contact too through um, contact at aeainfo.org. So there'll be um, a 
but ways of contacting the fellowship. We have online meetings, two meetings a week in Christchurch that anyone is welcome to. And uh, I'd just like to finish by saying that, um, you know, for, for any um, men out there who think they may have a, a problem with food, um, please give Addictive Eaters Anonymous a, a try because, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all available there. Thank you very much, um, Tony. This is Debbie May signing off on behalf of Quiet Minds Mental Health Radio on Plains FM 96.9. When you spend your whole life wishing, wanting and wondering why, it's a long enough life to be living. Why walk when you can fly? You can download this and other Quiet Minds programs by going to plainsfm.org.nz and clicking on podcasts. This show repeats on Wednesdays at 10.30am. Thanks for listening. In this world there's a whole lot of cold. In this world there's a whole lot of blame. In this world you've a soul for a compass and a heart for a pair of wings. There's a star on the far horizon, rising bright in an azure sky. For the rest of the time that you're given, why walk when you can fly high?